0: Right. Hey, Risto here with George Mason University. I am joined today by Dr. Tara Blackshear. Uh, she's an assistant professor at Towson University and the author of a 2020 article titled The Use of Fitnessgram in Pe. Is it appropriate? And that's our paper topic for today. So welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity to discuss is gram appropriate for Pete
0: students. Absolutely. And when I saw this uh, uh, paper come across Twitter, I looked at it and I was like, oh man, I, I need to get you on because I'm this is a, a topic that I kind of struggled with right when I came to Mason. And I'm sure that we'll get into the ins and outs of that. But before we get into the article itself, what pushed you into writing this article? Like what, uh, why did you find it important to study gram in an adult population of pre-service teachers?
1: Well, I teach a course, um, physical, fitness and fitness, physical fitness and assessment and physical education. And we, when I arrived, um, basically this is what you're teaching. We implement Fitnessgram in this particular course. And there was really no rationale explained to me, and I just took it upon myself to—I assumed that students engaged in fitness gram because this is likely the fitness assessment that they would use as educators. So that's that made sense to me. If you're going to implement and adopt this fitness assessment, you should be competent in the delivery. Um, in the assessment, so we will go through the assessment three times a semester. And I was looking, I was trying to find appropriate criteria for adult students, and I couldn't find it. So, and that's that really was what prompted me to say, hmm, are there any fitness gram criteria for the adult? Um student. And so I couldn't find any. And then I kept looking and looking and looking. And I realized that most Pe programs that incorporate fitness testing, they were using Fitnessgram. And there really wasn't any rationale um, as to why. And so that that started my quest to find out, is it appropriate? And should we actually be using this in our programs?
0: And I think I had a very similar experience to you when I came to Mason. It was, hey, this is what we do. We did it twice in my uh, secondary methods course because it's part of the ongoing assessment. And so we did it (laughs) twice in the semester. And I'm like, wait, so we only meet one day a week in that class. And I have to do two (laughs) full fitness tests batteries for this class. And I looked at the same thing and, you know, I think you bring this up in the article, but the, you know, the cutoff is 17 plus. So it's meant yes. for, you know, K to 12 and not a lot of K to 12 people are, you know, over 18. <laughs> so it makes sense. But why, why do you think that fitness gram tests are being used in PEAP programs, you know, Across the nation, like, like, what's the perceived benefit? uh, Why do we even need to test our pre-service teachers?
1: Well, I think the reason FitnessGram is used because, or one of the reasons, I think, because it's easy. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) It's easy. Um, Other than using it as an educational tool, like, if you're going to implement this, you should be competent. I can see it being used in that respective, but to actually measure their fitness is very inappropriate. And so it—it's it's just, it's just, I, f- I find it interesting. So I'm not sure why programs have blindly adopted the fitness gram assessment, um, when if you're going to fitness test, there are better assessments to utilize. And so I'm really not, sure why fitness grandma probably because it's popular it's well known it's endorsed by shape america and that is and it's easy because they have a software software platform if you purchase it Mm -hmm. it's easy to input this input the the data and um so you know i think it it might be because it's easy not really because it's the best pedagogical tool to Assess student fitness,
0: yeah. and we'll co- we'll go to some of the other options that that you recommend. Um, but in in your paper, you also addressed your bias. You said, you know, biasly, you you do think that PE teachers should have some level of fitness, which I think is not a uh, you know an, an outside the box idea. Like we all think that you know PE teachers should have some level of fitness if they're going to go into a health and physical education field. So can you talk us a little through the research about how fitness levels of PE teachers, like affects their teaching effectiveness or what kind of research has there been based on and I and I do remember reading at one point that there was an interesting study of a teacher teaching a normal class as themselves, and then they put on this disguise that made them look like 20 to 40 pounds overweight. Like there have been research studies in this area. Can you kind of talk about does that affect how they're perceived or what, how they teach?
1: Well, I am, as you as you highlight, I am biased. I do think that um, Pete majors, physical education teachers, and I, and I indicate, should have a moderate level of fitness. I'm mm-hmm. not expecting them to be these elite athletes. But not only because of the health outcomes, but the requirements for the job to be an active teacher, take stamina, endurance, um, and students, whether teachers like it or not, teachers are role models. And so I think for teachers to expect students to um, be proficient, be physically literate, engage in physical activity, um, participate in fitness-inducing um, exercises. I think that um, the the physical education teachers should practice what is being preached. Um, so, you know, not only for their health, but just to 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 be that role model. Mm-hmm. Um, does it make make you effective an effective teacher? No, because you could be super fit, fit, and you may not be teaching anything. You might be rolling the ball, and you know there may not there may not be any objectives and learning outcomes and things of that nature. However, the research suggests that when students perceive or they are aware that their teachers are fit, they are more engaged in fitness and learning about the the fitness and exercise outcomes. So I do think that. If you're already an effective teacher, I think it can help you become more effective or at least get that student buy-in, especially in the secondary age group when they tend to fall off and physical activity mm-hmm. starts to decline. So if you're not doing it from a student's perspective, why should I?
0: Right, and you did talk about some, some research that looked at you know, how students are getting jobs. You know, they're going in yes. and they're getting interviewed by a principal and the principal maybe doesn't know much about PE, but looks at them and says, oh, they're high energy. They, they look fit. They're competent. And so that was even more of a driver than just simply being really good academically.
1: Yes. Um, fair or not, yeah, they do absolutely. make physical judgments and they will, it's been shown that um, people in hiring um are in a hiring capacity will overlook um, some of the other deficiencies. You may not be as knowledgeable, your grades might not be as high, but you're you're practicing or you have the appearance of practicing what you are teaching yeah. our students. So, yeah. you know, I think it's a, a, a collective of why physical education teachers, Pete majors should engage, should engage in physical activity. Um, It's kind of like the going to the mechanic with the broken car or broken Mm -hmm. down car or going to the hairstylist and their hair is a wreck. Yeah. Um, You're probably not going to return or. um,
0: Right. And, and, and a perfect analogy there with the person that, you know, has their hair a wreck, right? That person is probably not cutting their own hair. You know, so it's not like we're judging them on something that they're not doing, but maybe that's not a perfect analogy. But, you know, (laughs) looking at it, it's there's so much more than, you know, a a teacher who might be, you know, seemingly unfit from uh, a biased just looking at a person could be a way better PE teacher than somebody who's very fit and rolls out the ball. So... Uh
1: Agree. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't judge a book by its cover. Absolutely. Um, But I I, I, I stand by my belief that they should have a moderate level of fitness.
0: And so you you brought up another type of assessment and you said that some P programs across the nation nation are choosing the American College of Sports Medicine. So ACSM fitness uh, protocols and criteria. Can you talk to me about the ACSM versus Fitnessgram? How are they different? What, I mean, obviously Fitnessgram is used K-12. ACSM has some adult guidelines. So can you kind of describe what the difference between them is?
1: Yes. Well, ACSM, as you pointed out, is designed for the adult participant. Um, They do extensive research on different um, environments, sexes, um, gender, they have some, some sex, sex slash gender, um, ethnicity, and race. They have a lot of different variations. Even though some of the criteria might just be general, they do have additional information to let you know that there are some differences um, between populations, different populations. We also, and we use this one for our accreditation assessment, ACSM. We have students who are 56 years old. They range from 18 to 56 years old. And so the fitness gram is really inappropriate for our adult students. It doesn't, it's not even giving them an accurate reading of their fitness levels. And so uh, I highlight that in the paper where we had students, um, we use a lap count for the pacer instead of predicted VO2 max because we had for example, a student achieved 90 PACER laps, which is very difficult to do. Um, but they their VO2 max was low. They were in the health they were in the low performing zone for predicted VO2, which PACER does, versus the laps which put them in the the healthy zone. So that's just one illustration of how 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 are we using Data fitness gram data to interpret um, fitness
0: for adults. Yeah. So before we go into the methods section, I think, you know, as as you're talking about, we do this because of accreditation. I'm wondering if you can explain because I, I'm thinking about this from an international perspective of people who are not in the U.S. and they're like, wait, you test your college students that are going to be teachers through a test for fitness, for K to 12? Like why Why do you even have to do that? Like why do universities in the US have to test or why do some have to test?
1: Well, they don't have to test. So many institutions are governed or were governed, this is changing by Shape America who established the PEAT standards, mm-hmm. the initial PEAT standards. And in standard two, it says that PEAT candidates will maintain health-related fitness, will engage engage in and maintain health-related fitness. It's vague and um, it has been known that that is intentional so that programs can decide how they are going to assess or determine that their students are engaged and maintain health-related fitness.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think it is an easy way to determine, um, it doesn't really determine if they're engaged, but theoretically, if they're engaging in health-related fitness activities, they should have a, an adequate amount of fitness or an average or above average level of fitness. It doesn't yeah. always work that way. so. Um, Backhurst actually did a study and this is how I found a lot of the information on programs adopting Fitnessgram and some programs have Fitnessgram. Some had a battery of their own assessment. Some use ACSM and some held them accountable, meaning they didn't graduate, very strict to they just had to do it. They just had to participate. It didn't matter what their score was. And they would report that. And so I don't I don't believe to my knowledge or to my understanding, programs were still or still get that accreditation. They're just documenting the information. Mm-hmm. So I think every program decides based on their philosophies. In that paper, there were also some discrepancies. There were some programs who were who didn't do it. They didn't believe it, believe in it, therefore they didn't do it. Um and then sometimes it's professor specific versus program specific.
0: Yeah. So Yeah, and I and I found this when I came to Mason, we were just transitioning out of doing the shape um, accreditation. So we no longer had to do it because Virginia didn't require it. So we had okay. this big conversation back and forth of, you know, my first semester I had to do the fitness gram twice in that class and I just it, it didn't sit well with me. It, there mm-hmm. was no purpose for it. It was just, mm-hmm. you have to turn these in so we can document this. It has to be for accreditation. And students would ask, like, why are we doing this? I'm like, well, well, we have to stay accredited. Like, you have to do this. Can we do this another way? N- no. And I think that it resembles a lot of what K-12 to is. Like, some teachers just pop it in and don't really make it meaningful in that way but I you know I'm I'm very happy that we don't have to do it anymore now I get to do the fitness test in a way that I have the students peer teach the fitness fitness gram and they randomly get assigned a you know a part to teach to the rest of the people in the class and they have to do it correctly and with high validity and reliability of of the technique but I think it's I think it's really interesting that depending on what state you go to, a university, you might have to do this or you might not.
1: Agreed. Well, our our students do get the um, education component that behind fitness gram. They just don't do it and without explanation, without what a program may look like if you're trying to how to improve your fitness and things of that nature. So it's not just a a random one off. How in that particular course and when we were in session face to face the fitness assessments we offered were every semester every fall and every spring and it was campus wide so our students were to engage at least have on you know record as you pointed out at least two occasions however we encourage them to go every semester just so they can have an idea of where they where they were but that, that was that was volu- voluntary.
0: So can you give a brief overview of the methods just so people kind of understand what the study was?
1: So it was actually retroactive after I started um, seeing that some, some students were um, seen to really excel in the muscular fitness components. And for our ACSM requirement, we were doing the 12-minute run and we wanted students to have um, an above average um, score. So average was fine, but above average was the target. And so at the time that was a must pass. They had to pass the cardiovascular component plus three of the four other assessments that we were doing. And we did that because heart disease is the number one killer. And so cardiovascular fitness was what we promoted more heavily than the rest. And students were struggling to meet the American College of Sports Medicine's cardiovascular um, expectations. And so that's when I started looking at the data in class. So because it was class data, it was required. I had to submit an IRB to use retroactive course data, and that was fine. So it was across five different semesters, and a lot of that was because of the number count. I needed a, a decent sample, and but s- similar patterns were um, shown across each semester, and so I independently analyzed each assessment and then did correlation analysis to see what the relationships were across the fitness assessments, and they were Aggregated by sex, and I was asked by a reviewer why did you analyze the data by sex. I says one, there's sex differences, and two, um, fitness gram um, separates the criteria based on gender, mm-hmm.
0: which is a big thing. And you know even in California, they've they've stopped doing fitness gram because of that until they figure out how to, you know, not separate so much by gender. And figure out how somebody that doesn't identify as strictly male or strictly female, where where do their results, where are they connected? And so I think, you know, that's that's a really good answer to a reviewer, by the way. Of why did you do this? Why don't you do this? Um, that's how FitnessGram does it.
1: Oh. Yeah, and we and and we discussed those things in this particular class um, when we were doing body composition, and a student asked, right if you have a transgender male or transgender female, you know, and I said, from a pedagogical standpoint, you let them choose,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right. You let yeah. them choose and they're tracking their own personal, right. Cause we teach where you're competing against yourself, not against a classmate, right. The goal is to improve your fitness right. um, or maintain if you're already at a fit level, but mm-hmm those are always interesting conversations and hopefully we're giving our students the tools to be in an inclusive environment in those situations
0: so let's uh let's talk about the results how successful were the pre-service teachers and what else did the results show
1: um muscular fitness was high across males and females um in the curl ups and the push ups and a couple of reasons, I think, is in particular with the females, is they're PE majors, they're more likely to engage in physical activity, mm-hmm. um, have, we have tend to have a lot of students who are former athletes, they, they do value and think physical education is important, or physical activity, um, but we also engage in a lot of muscular fitness activities in many of our activity courses, especially this particular course. so that wasn't too surprising for me um, that their push-ups were outstanding and they do them in perfect form. <laughs> so I right. record yeah so that was refreshing. Um, the male population I wasn't surprised most of many of our male students um, engage in more muscular endurance um, activities, muscular strength and activities than, You know, across the board, it's not just our students, but males are more likely to engage in muscular fitness and females are more likely to engage in cardiovascular fitness, just generally speaking. But I do think those um, stereotypes and preferences are starting to change the more we become educated on the benefits of physical activity and different types Um, Flexibility was high. However, the standards are very low in FitnessGram, and 12 is the maximum. um, 12 inches is the maximum that you can achieve. However, we did have students with 16, 20, 32, but we we were still in alignment with FitnessGram. That was all we could do because that's what the software allows, and we saw. Um, or I saw inequities there because the, the male cutoff is eight, the female cutoff is 12. And that means that the males actually have more room to exceed their cutoff, but the females is just 12. Mm-hmm. And so I think Fitnessgram could actually increase um, the minimum entry point for that. And, and, so. and a
0: super simple change in software open it up (laughs) like just just you know change how much and i and you talked about the acsm differences and even the cutoffs there and i think you know you did a great job talking about the limitations of fitness gram in in these p programs You talked about bmi misrepresentations where you had a student who you know hit 90 uh on the pacer but then came over you know one of the most, the second place person was classified as obese, you had curl up advantages, disadvantages, and you taught me something I didn't know. I didn't know that ACSM took away curl ups as a measure. And mm-hmm. and it does make a lot of sense. You know, their rep, their reasoning was that the limited gains you have in that action versus the back strain that you get. So mm-hmm. coming from a guy who had back surgery earlier this year, I totally get it. You know, and <laughs> so what? Are, what were some of the deficiencies, and uh, what do they say about FitnessGram use in PEEP? Should Should we actually be using it? Who? Oh. Just Just overall in 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 PE programs, should we be using FitnessGram?
1: I think we should only be using it as an educative tool for our students who may employ or utilize Fitnessgram in their K-12 PE programming. But I do not think it's appropriate for um, PE majors to use for assessing their fitness.
0: And do you think that the ACSM tests should be used instead of Fitnessgram or not not I, manage it at all?
1: I think if a program's going to require it, require it or expect it, I do think ACSM is a better option. Um, but I don't think that students should um be negatively impacted if they don't meet those standards.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Meaning, so, there's some programs where you don't graduate. Yeah, which so which is
0: <laughs> intense. I don't.
1: I disagree with that. That yeah. aspect.
0: Well, and I think if we go back to like the 70s and 80s in PE programs, you wouldn't be able to graduate if you didn't hit these gymnastics moves or be able to throw a football through a tire accurately. And they used to have all of these. specific skill tests that if you cannot do this you can't be a PE teacher and those have widely gone away other than they might be embedded in a in a program in a in a class like you can't get a good grade on this test unless you know how or this you know the skill test if you don't know these uh these skills but now we've been pushed to doing it in in fitness.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, some programs are still doing skills as well.
0: (laughs) So what do you mean by some some programs are still doing the skill, as in it's embedded into a part of their class, or that they're keeping that as a graduation requirement, that they have to be able to pass X amount of skills to graduate?
1: I believe there are still some programs that you have to be proficient in certain skill related and health related fitness components in order to graduate. Mm-hmm. And some put you on a special program and yes, there are still programs that do that. Yeah. And I found that out through just my own research looking at what other I went on did my own search at various institutions with with Peat programs um, to see what they were doing for fitness and some, health related only, and some do health and skill related only and some require or implement an intervention program. So they're trying to help you be successful to meet the expectations, but it's still happening in 2020.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I would think that if you, without having anybody, you know, read your article and ask this question of, should you require that, you know, P.E. teachers know how to do this and you present it with the idea of, you know, a science teacher needs to be able to do these experiments and have the knowledge. I think a lot of teachers would say, of course, we should be skillful, we should be fit. And I think that comes from a very ableist uh, mindset. And, And I think that it's a tricky situation. It's a tricky subject because on the face value, right? You would expect that a PE teacher knows and is able to do these skills, but I don't think that always needs to be there to be a very efficient teacher. Do you? Do you agree? Disagree?
1: Mm, I think you need some level of skill proficiency uh, from experience. After teaching seventeen years, um, K twelve experiences around the world, um, it's it's a lot easier to. Um, from my experiences and from the literature, to teach something that you actually know how to do. Um, can you teach it and not know how to do, physically do? Of course you can. You can explain, you can give cues, you can, can do a battery of things, have someone else demonstrate a video. Um, so there are other tools that can be used. Um, but I think if you are able to um, physically do it I think it does help with mm-hmm. um, the delivery of that instruction because yeah. you can you can communicate how it feels to do certain things and so many of these um, of our, our of our activities deal with sensory and, and feeling the movement and so I think sometimes it can be a lot easier and, and more effective to describe um, those aspects of the skill that you're able to engage in.
0: Yeah. So in an ideal world, how do you hope this article would affect the the use of Fitnessgram and PE programs?
1: Um, stop using it to assess your students for, to measure and to determine their level of fitness.
0: Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this just because it's not something that directly is related to your article, but it's something I'd love to get your opinion on. How do, how do the things discussed in this article flow downstream? So in other words, how do you think that the use of fitness gram for pre-service teachers shapes their view of fitness testing? And how do you think it affects the, the PE students, like their future PE students down the line? Hmm,
1: It's a great question. Well, I think many people, we, we have the, you know, a fundamental belief, right? That it's difficult to change or will never change. And I have a colleague and we debate this all of the time. This colleague is, um, anti fitness testing, um, period. If I'm not mistaken, I think, or how we're doing it, I should say, I won't say period, um, I often say it's the approach of the physical education teacher, not the testing itself, right? You mm-hmm. mentioned the old school, ice a year, beginning of the year, end of the year, no assessment, no education, just no meaning. It's meaningless, right. right? Versus the PE teacher, I'm gonna teach you how to do these moves. We're gonna be efficient. This is why we do these things. We, we're we're tracking our fitness. We're seeing, you know, the benefits. What all all the great things that occur um, because of physical activity and exercise, right? Mm-hmm. So they're getting all of that. You, we're we're doing activities that helps benefit, help, you know, helps each area, and so from a mental aspect, social aspect, um, physical aspect. I think so many are just on the on the physical component, and I speak to that in the article about. You know the benefits of being physically fit are are hard to ignore, right? So they're just you, you can't ignore them. You know now we have this is actually trademarked exercise as medicine. Mm-hmm. So so just wanting our students to be healthy, or increasing um, their opportunities to have a a quality, well-rounded life, I think is 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 you know speaks for itself. So I really do think it's the approach, um, in how teachers K-12, higher ed, um, engage in fitness testing.
0: Yeah. I
1: think if it has if if it, if it has an education focus, I think it's um, a lot more positive and favorable, and receptive. Because I've seen it happen from state schools in the states, public. Um, charter to international schools around the world. So I think a lot of it has to do with the physical educators approach to fitness.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there are so many good things about what you can teach through fitness testing. And it doesn't have to be such a high stakes, scary thing, versus, you know, a lot of us that you know, are out of a K to 12 sitting and have graduated high school, track our fitness. We we look at how long it takes to run a 5K. That's a fitness mm-hmm. test. We look at how mm-hmm. many, what's our personal best and number of pushups that we can do. And, you know, whether that's competitive or whether that's just kind of tracking every year you go for a long bike ride that's the same bike ride to make sure that you can continue staying up to, you know, what you can do. And, you know, my my father-in-law is 71 and he rides his bike all the time. And his whole idea is keep doing what you're doing. And so Mm -hmm. he tests his fitness by going on these long bike rides and seeing how he feels. And it's not necessarily that he's checking his heart rate, but he's looking at the mileage. He's looking at time. Is he slowing down over time? You know, those are things that, you know, he's thinking about, which, I'm sure he's not thinking is fitness testing and it's not a high stakes thing but teaching students at a elementary level, middle school, high school this stuff I don't think it's I don't think it's all bad. I think you're right that it's the educator's perspective. It's the way they approach it that can really really be harmful for for certain students if it's done in the wrong way.
1: Agreed. You should read my paper, HIT Training and PE and Strategies, and I talk about um, alternative methods of fitness assessment. In fact, this particular class, since we're online this semester, so we won't be engaging in fitness gram or any other face to face fitness testing. So, since we still have our fitness assessment ACSM requirement, the students will conduct their 12-minute run three times a semester on their own. They're scheduled in the syllabus, but they do it on their own. They have to submit evidence, whether they submit a video of them running. They can show their picture of their app on their phone or their activity watch. They do that and push-ups. Those are the only two requirements that we're doing under COVID. And it may we may adopt this here on out because it's too two assessments, muscular fitness, cardiovascular endurance, mm-hmm. and they're tracking their time. And I said, well, the onus is on them. I said, will your students cheat? Of course some will, right? Mm-hmm. But how you approach um, the expectations, some of them will actually get, you really get into it. And I have found mine have. So that those are the two requirements and they have three choice that they can do whatever they want. whether if they want to do a squat assessment, swim assessment, um, throwing distance assessment, they can, They can, doesn't have to be health related fitness. So the two are required and the other three are choice. And so as I'm sure you're aware choice, um, tends to increase the likelihood of engagement And this so far it's it's been pretty successful. We've had two rounds. We have the final round at the end of the semester. So I'll get some feedback from students um, on their on their perceptions of how was this type of fitness assessment. They have to write an they have to analyze their data, a comparative analysis, they have to write a reflection. How did they feel physically? How did they feel psychologically? Um, and so forth, and so it's a it's a nice um, reflective assessment that they've always had to do in that particular course, um, but now they're administering their own fitness assessment
0: yeah. and a great peat assignment, but also a really good thing to uh, navigate and change into a k to twelve setting. I mean imagine that doing xyz assessments for fitness gram or whatever they need to do and then having other self-selected things that they are really interested in like you Mm -hmm. talked about a swim assessment might not be able to do it if you don't have a pool in in your school but other students who are on a swim team might really want to push that so Mm -hmm. but thank you so much for sharing the paper and i'm We'll uh, link to this paper and the paper that you just mentioned through uh, into the notes section. Um,
1: Okay.
0: So um, I'll get that from you. And um, for those of you who want to read the full article, um, I'll have that citation in there and we'll have a link to it. And um, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Awesome. So that's all we got for you on this one. I want to thank Greg Coogan for his help in prepping this podcast. And uh, thanks for listening.